2014, the first year that they had freestyle skiing, the half pipe, which you probably know Sean White in the, um, in the snowboarding half pipe. David Wise was the first uh, one to, to win gold medal there in 2014. He also won gold medal in 2018 and then silver medal uh, earlier this year. Uh, David Wise claims to be a Christian and says that he uh, is doing this to, to give glory to God. And if God wanted to take it away, he'd be fine with that. But if you were to talk to him in his days and weeks and months and years and decades of training, what are you training for? He would tell you this, I'm training for the future. And we have to ask ourselves, as believers living on this earth right now, what are we living for? The world is desperate for us to live like them. And here is the world's motto or what they're living for, their mission statement. Live for today. If it feels good today, do it. And we have to have a balanced perspective of how God wants us to look at the past, the present, and the future. And we can live in the past so much that we are crippled by it, or so proud that of what we have accomplished in the past that Paul has to tell us, forgetting those things which are behind. And reach unto, forth unto those things which are before. If we don't think about the future, we won't live appropriately today. And Paul is going to encourage us, as he has been encouraging us in ministry, to ministry is not really about today. It's about living for the future. And we're going to see as we look at, and I'm going to have you stay in Romans 8, and we'll look at Romans 8, and then we'll go to our text of 2 Corinthians 5. But I chose Romans 8 because it matches what we have seen in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 about the sufferings of this present time. And verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. As David Wise stands on top of the podium in 2014 and 2018, and he's holding a gold medal, or around his neck is a gold medal, if you asked him, was it worth it? He's looking down at the gold medal, what would he say? Oh, yeah. All of the early mornings, late nights, training, maybe injuries and overcoming those is going to be worth it. And this was the day that he was inspiring all of the other days that led up to this moment. So for us, what is inspiring us? Paul says in Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Is to be revealed talks about the future. Is to be revealed to us. And then he tells us, as we just heard, that creation waits with eager longing, and it's groaning, wanting this, these earthly physical bodies to be replaced with the glorious bodies. And we groan. I don't know if you groaned this morning when you woke up, Ah, oh, just five more minutes, just five more hours of sleep. <laughs> if I could just get more sleep. And then when you get out of bed and, oh, to bend down and pick up anything. Oh, oh, man, feels good to stand back up again. <laughs> and as we get older, we groan a lot more. And it's not necessarily wrong to groan. You probably uh, have watched, and, and you probably remember, I remember this, and watching older people, specifically my grandparents, and listening to them groan and thinking, what are you groaning about? <laughs> like, what's the big deal? And as I get older, I'm not a grandparent yet, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, feel, I'm feeling it, and I'm not even a grandparent, and I feel uh, a little bit of groaning here and there. But these bodies aren't made to last forever, and this, these bodies will suffer. And we have, though, hope. If you look at verse 24 of our scripture reading today, verse 23 says, We wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, so our bodies to be redeemed along with our souls. Verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, it requires faith. We wait for it with patience. David Wise was probably told by his parents and coaches, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day. If you keep training, you keep training, there is going to come a day where you'll have a chance to represent our country. And the final run or the three runs that are required for the half pipe, if you do your, take your best run, you'll have the chance where the world is watching to see what God has designed your body to do. And I watch these guys in freestyle skiing, and I could never, never do that. I'm like, nope. <laughs> and we have no desire to do that. But there are people that do. And um, as far as we can tell, he's using his platform uh, to give God glory. But we need the passage. Let's go to now to our passage of Scripture, and we'll read it together in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. I gave you the notes ahead of time here or why we need this passage, but let me give you this and then we'll go backwards. So because we struggle with using these physical bodies to please him, we need this passage. So have that in mind as we go to 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 9, and see if this isn't uh, speak to this struggle that we have to use these physical bodies to please him. Okay, So we, we all struggle as Christians, uh, to use these bodies to please God. And Paul writes to the Corinthians who are struggling with their bodies, and Paul's struggling with his. And verse 1 of chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if, in indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or or evil. We'll stop at verse 9 this week, and we'll pick up again at verse 9 next week. But we make it our aim to please Him. We need this passage, and you can see the struggle in this passage of using our physical bodies. And at times we think, why do I even need a physical body? Like, this is just a pain. My physical body keeps me reminding me that this life is temporary. And the next life is eternal. How do we know about the next life, though? There's no one who's coming back from the dead as the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man wanted Lazarus to come back from the dead and tell his brothers not to go to hell. And that's not happening. And what Moses said is, we have the word of God. Your brothers have the word of God. If they don't listen to the word, they won't listen to Lazarus, even if he comes back from the dead. So we have the word of God. And the Word of God is going to help us. And every passage of Scripture is unique, and it helps us in a certain struggle or struggles in life. And I believe this passage is going to help us as we struggle with these physical bodies, getting them out of bed, getting them dressed, telling your physical body, no, you should not eat all that junk food. Yes, you should eat your vegetables. Yes, you should exercise. No, you don't need to lay on the couch all day, every day. No, you don't need to waste this time or that time. We need to tell our physical bodies what to do or not listen to what our physical bodies are telling us what it wants to do. But the future inspires how we use our bodies today. What is happening to our bodies in the future? Well, Romans 8 said that we live in, in hope. We live in patience because one day these physical bodies are going to come out of the ground 
and we're going to be forever with the Lord. And um, we know that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which we have seen before, which in the chronology of the New Testament was written before 1 and 2 Corinthians. We know Romans is coming next in our chronology of the New Testament. And so I, I share some of Romans because that's where we're going. Paul doesn't give all the churches all the texts of Scripture at once, like we have it. When we go buy a Bible online or at a store, we get all the texts of Scripture at once. But the text of Scripture was written over probably the New Testament over a couple decades, uh, several decades, from probably 45, around 45 when James was written, to when John writes in the early 90s or around the 90s of the first century uh, A.D. So we have about five Five decades in which the New Testament is given to the church, and we have it all at once, and we don't have it in chronological order, uh, so we're looking at it, we're trying to uh, look at the, the text of the New Testament uh, as it was written, um, and learn um, from God what he wants us to know. So the future, where we're going, inspires today. The world says, live for today. If you try to talk to someone about the future, and I went out with a uh, we had interns a couple summers, and I took them out, and we would go talk to people. We went to a baseball field one time, and talk while during the game, trying to bring up gospel conversations. And uh, this person in particular, I remember this, and it wasn't me; it was someone who was with me. They said, "Hey, I'm just trying to hear, watch the game. I don't want to talk about this." Okay. And there are those kind of thoughts, like, "Hey, I am in the middle of this. It's not a good time. It's not a good time." It's not a good time. 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 Boom, end of life. Never a good time. You know what is a good time? When you're sitting at a funeral. Really good time. Because you are face to face with the reality of we are all mortal. You know what mortal means? You're going to die. And it's nothing like sitting at a funeral realizing, I better think about the future. And I tell, you'll, you'll hear me say this at every funeral, there's going to come a day when your body is the one that's here or you're the one that we're remembering. It's coming. And you better live for today because this day is coming. It's a sobering reality. And the wise will take what we can learn from funerals better to heart than going to a thousand parties and we'll make wise decisions for today that will influence the future. As a parent, I am trying to teach my kids to live for the future. As a youth pastor before I was a pastor, I told my youth group to live for the future. And my senior pastor in mentoring me, he, I remember sitting in his office one day and he said this, you can tell when young people are growing up and they're maturing with this. They make decisions now because of, of how it will affect their future. Ooh, that was really good advice. So I used that in my youth group. And that, that helped me to focus my application to teenagers to say, hey, don't live for today. I know the world's screaming at you to do this. I know it's popular and cool. And the music's telling you this. And, the, and everything with the world is trying to press you into its mold, and it's telling you, live for today. This style, that style, this tattoo, that, that music, whatever it is, this relationship, do it. Live for today. And you see how many adults, man, man, I just, uh, I blew it back when I was a teenager or when I was in my 20s or 30s or 40s. And now my body is regretting the decisions I made. And they hang their heads. Why did I do this? Why did I do that? They're not thinking about the future. And God's going to cause us in this passage to think about the future. So he talks in verse 1 with a knowledge. We know. What do we know? If the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, he uses a different word. For a dwelling and a tent, we know, is temporary. If you go out in a tent, you don't expect, most people, don't expect to live in a tent the rest of their life. 
I'm going to go get a really nice tent, and I'm going to set it up in my parents' backyard, and that's my plan. There's my future out there. And your parents and everybody else in your life is going to say, bad plan. <laughs> All you have to do is watch the winters around here, and you don't want to be living in a tent. You, you have remnants of a hurricane that comes up the coast, and there's trees blowing everywhere. You don't want to be in a tent. Bad plan. Indoor plumbing, not an option. In a tent. Okay? You don't want to live in a tent. It's okay for a week. It's not, not for me, but maybe for you. Okay? I don't like tenting. I'm done. I'm selling tents. If you want to buy tents, if you want. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't want to tent the rest of my life. One more day of a tent, I'm done. May, I see many heads nodding. Like, some of you think I'm crazy. That's okay. That's an opinion. Um, not, not the scripture here. But the scripture says we have to look at these bodies as a tent. It's our earthly home. It's where we dwell right now. It houses our soul. But if this tent is destroyed, we have, this is what we know, we have a building from God. And he uses a different word than a temporary dwelling. He uses the word house. And when you think of a house, you think of, that's where I want to live. That's my future, to buy a house. Oh, yeah. And if your parents, if you're telling your parents, hey, I don't want to live in your, your basement, mom and dad, or in your backyard, I'd like to buy a house one day. Your parents would say, oh, you're, so, you're growing up. You're, you're, you're maturing. Because a house is something that we'd say is putting down roots. It is a wise investment for the future. So Paul says here, we know that if we have this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. And earlier, back in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he talks about we're struck down but not destroyed. But if... One day, Paul probably realizes that uh, the Roman Empire is not getting more and more friendly to Christians as he travels around. They're getting more and more hostile to Christians. Our country, as we go away from God, according to Romans 1, they're not going to get more friendly to Christians, not biblical Christians. If we keep the truth of the gospel, as we heard in Sunday school we should be doing, the world is not going to love us. They're going to hate us. Are you okay with being hated? Like someone wanting to destroy you because they hate your message. Okay, that is the case of many, many countries in the world right now. And it's probably coming here. But these earthly bodies are just a tent. And if someone destroys this earthly body because we're faithful to God and ministering, we have a building from God, a house made not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have physical houses here, and those houses are not eternal. As much as we try to take care of them, and you may have a house that's 100 or 200 years old, but that house is not going to last forever. Don't spend all your time on your earthly house. Physical house, don't spend all your time on this body either, because this body can be destroyed. It's wearing out, as we saw last week. But we have this hope of knowledge that we have a house not made with hands that is eternal in the heavens. Verse 2. For in this tent, goes back to the temporary image of our bodies being a tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. You know, the more we groan in our tent, the more we can't wait for heaven. It's God's design that these bodies wear out. If he wanted them to last forever, they could. You think of even the Old Testament, those people that lived 900, 969 years. Oh, oh man. I mean, they were middle-aged at 300, 400, 500. <laughs> Noah still was having children at 600. I guess that doesn't make sense. Okay, we can't even fathom that. But they lived longer then. And we'll probably say a lot healthier then. But today, 100 years old is, is very old. We don't expect these earthly bodies 
to live long. We don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Our future of what's going to happen with these bodies and our, our new heavenly bodies should inspire how we live today. And he's not sugarcoating what it's like to live in an earthly body. In an earthly body, we call it a tent. We groan. We long. Look at the language here in verse 2. We longing, we're constantly longing to be put on our heavenly dwelling. Verse 3. And if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Like our soul is not going to be in this limbo place where it doesn't have a, a body uh, to, to dwell in. Verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. The same language of Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that we are to help those who are burdened. They have a, a burden, a, a weight that is too heavy for one person to carry. That's the idea of a burden here. And if without knowledge that when this earthly home is destroyed, that we have this building in from God, a house that God has made, it's eternal in the heavens. Without that, we can be overwhelmed with the burden not that we would be unclothed or that we would be, but that we would be further clothed. We have this growing desire as this outer man is perishing. The inner man is being renewed with knowledge. And this knowledge is, this body's not made to last forever. I'm groaning and I'm living for the future. That we would be further clothed. I would say better clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Swallowed up by life. Does that sound familiar? If you were the Corinthians listening to the second letter, swallowed up by life, that sounds an awful lot like 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Paul uses the same kind of language, encouraging the Corinthians here that you are on a direction that leads to life. This is knowledge that just keeps growing. The more you read the word, the more you realize this, I'm, I'm going the right way. This is a sure direction. If you have no idea about direction, and some people are very directionally challenged, and as my kids get older and are getting their driver's license, I'm telling them, okay, if you get lost, look at the sun. If you know that you have to go north, and the sun is to your south most of the times in New England, then you go opposite the sun. Now, we know the sun also goes east to west. But if you're in the morning, the sun is in the east. And if you want to go west and you're heading toward the sun in the morning, you're going the wrong way. Simple. You say, I don't, I don't understand anything you just said. That's okay. You might be directionally challenged. All right? That's okay. You can look at a map. You look at a map, all of you, are pro we're all probably really glad that we have a phone that has a GPS. Like, you don't have to worry about directions anymore, except if you go off the grid and you don't have reception, and you're like, phone, you got to work. I mean, I have no idea where I'm at. <laughs> you you got to help me here. Okay, going the right direction is incre incredibly encouraging, and going the wrong direction is incredibly discouraging. There are people who have $200 billion of net worth. That, that blows our mind. And yet, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, in life, they're going the wrong direction. How do we know? Because we know the gospel. The gospel is the good news of salvation. It's the power of God everyone who believes. The gospel puts us in right relationship with God, going the right direction. This is a sure direction. How do we know? Where is the surety of verses 1 through 5? You see the word no? There's a sure word. We know. There's a lot of things that we don't know about life, but I would tell you this, and there's a lot of things that we want to know, especially about the future. We don't have to live in the future. We have to live today. But the future is going to inspire how we live today. What's going to inspire how we live today? I know whom I have believed. Whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that 
which I have committed unto him against that day. Day of God's wrath. When the wrath of God is poured out on this world, as believers, we're safe. How do we know? Because we're in Christ. He will hold us fast, we sing. We know that. We know for sure that we can have eternal life. How can you know for sure you have eternal life? Because God has written. If you turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as your Savior, what he did on the cross and his empty tomb, you will have life. It is sure. And it's a sure direction that God wants us to go after he saves us. He puts us on this path that leads to, look at verse 4. So that what is mortal, prone to dying, you're, you're headed toward death, but it's just a tent, it's just an earthly body. But what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This is the direction we're going, from death to life. The earthly body reminds us, no, this is not, this is not the end. Things aren't getting better. It's not getting better for you physically. You watch the news, it's not getting better. Everyone who thinks that things are getting better, just watch the news. And you will be overwhelmed. And then you look at the national news, you look at the local news, the national news, the international news, and before you know it, you're overwhelmed. You can't, you're, you emotionally can't handle all of the bad news at once. And that's only, let's like, say, 10 countries, let alone the 200 plus countries, let alone all of the injustices that it's happening in all of the homes and the, the crime that's happening at night and the immorality and the grossness, everything that's happening in this world, you're like, oh, I'm glad I don't know it. It would weigh this physical body down emotionally. I just couldn't even function. So there are times I don't even watch the news. I don't care. I can't care because I don't have enough <laughs> emotional bandwidth to care about every every problem in the world. And what I have to go back to is the Word of God. And the Word of God says, we know. We know that this tent is just an earthly home, and if someone destroys it, I have a building from God that is not made with hands. So it means God's making it. And that eternal home is eternal in the heavens. There is sure progression from death to life. And he doesn't go repeat again, but all we have to do is go back to 1 Corinthians 15. And how do we know that we're on the path to life? It's because of Christ and his resurrection. That's it. And we'll, you can go back to look at 1 Corinthians 15, and the Corinthians could go back to their first letter and say, yes, Jesus does guarantee life. Yes, he is not in the tomb. We are of all men not most to be pitied because he is not still in the grave. He's alive. He's in heaven. He has conquered death. And we're on the path that leads to life. This is a sure direction from death to life, from the temporary, we saw last chapter, to the eternal. So look toward the eternal. Stop focusing all of our time and attention on this life and this tent and this body. You know what? If your tent gets destroyed in a storm, you're like, eh, it's just a tent. It's not that big a deal. If a tree falls on your tent, oh, well, go get another tent for 50 bucks. If a tree falls on your house, eh, yeah, bigger deal, not 50 bucks of damage. Okay, so we're on a path that leads to life. Verse 5, how do we know we're on a path that leads to life? He who has prepared us for this very thing, is God. Oh, God is guaranteeing that we're on this path to life. And what does he give us to show us that we're on this path that leads to life? Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. This matches what Ephesians 1 says, and Romans is going to tell us about the, uh, um, the surety of the Holy Spirit. It's a down payment. That's what the word is, the earnest money, or the down payment that I'm going to buy God is definitely going to buy us, complete the whole transaction of our redemption. How do we know? Because he gives us the Holy Spirit. 
We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're heading the right direction. And all of this surety is tied to not just our knowledge, which could be in this tent, we forget things, right? What is our surety tied to? A person. Our surety is tied to a person. God never slumbers or sleeps. I was thinking and meditating on Isaiah 40 last night with our family, and the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, is the one who has saved us. He's the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Have we seen in 2 Corinthians 4, a reference to creation? Look back with me at verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, the creator who can make light out of nothing, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Where we're headed is a sure direction toward a person. And God says, while we're struggling here with this body, while we're we're suffering, while people can even destroy this physical body, they can't change the direction of our life. They can't take us away from God. And Romans 8 says that too, that we heard a couple weeks ago in the sermon. No, because we have a sure direction. Notice again, verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. We don't prepare an eternal home in the heavens for ourselves. God's preparing it for us, a a glorified body. How do we know that we one day will have a glorified body and that we're on this path that leads to life because God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee? And this is written before Ephesians, and Ephesians 1, 14 says the same thing uh, later on in the progress, progress of the New Testament. All right, verse 6. So not only do we have a sure direction, verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Now, if we think about it and we think, okay, life is hard. I don't like taking medicine. I don't like getting my blood drawn. I don't like uh, surgeries. And I don't like going with you. I, I do like going with you and spending time with you in the hospital. But you don't like being there either. But given the choice, uh, home or the hospital, no one picks the hospital. <laughs> Everybody's like, I wish I could go home. Why? Because you're comfortable there, and you're not woken up all throughout the night, and all these tests, and, and, the, and how uncomfortable it is. So we are always of good courage, Paul says. That good courage is a confidence. It's actually one word in the Greek. It could be also translated confidence. We know, here again, the knowledge comes up. What, what gives you the confidence, Paul? Always, always having confidence. Why are you confident, Paul? Because I know that while I'm at home in the body, I'm away from the Lord. You gathered together to worship Jesus today, but we're not physically seeing him. He's not standing here as if he was 33 years on the earth years ago. One day we shall know him, as we just sang. One day we will see him. And we'll fall on our faces before him and probably won't get off of our faces for years and years and years. And it will be perfect. That's why God has saved us. That's why God has created us in his image so that we can worship him in the beauty of holiness. Until then, we're in this life and we've got these physical bodies, and it causes us to groan. And we don't like it. And we have to remind ourselves, while stuck in these physical bodies, we cannot see our Savior's face, because it says earlier that he saves us, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We want to see his face. We want to be like Moses, who saw the glory and were changed by the glory. And it says 
in chapter 3, we all can see His glory. Where can we see Jesus' glory? In the Word. And we gather as God's people and look at as much of the Word of God as we can because we want to see His glory. And we want to encourage all of our, our, us living in these bodies to know certain things that will keep us encouraged and confident. So what is Paul confident? We know that while we are home in the body, we're away from the Lord. When we think about the way things are now, it almost sounds like Paul in verse 6 is a little bit suicidal. Like he's like, eh, death doesn't look that bad. If I took my life, I would be out of this body and at home with the Lord. Wow, that is, that is better. And what causes Paul to be able to say that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord? For we walk by faith, not by sight. Our real home is heaven. Our real body, these are just temporary bodies that are going to last temporarily. We're not going to be in heaven like, oh man, I just wish I had my earthly body. <laughs> I just wish I could bring it up here. Actually, it's going to be redeemed. It's going to be glorious, and Romans 8 tells us that. But it's a glorified body then. It's going to be similar to Jesus' body. What do we know about Jesus' body in John 20 and 21? He spent time with his disciples. He ate. I don't know if he slept. He ate. He could walk around. I think he could teleport. I think. He went from one place to another. He went through walls. I don't know. That's, that's my best guess. All right? We don't have a lot of scripture, but what we do know is that, that you could eat, that you could be felt, that Thomas felt the, and his disciples felt his hands and his feet and his side. Something that, but other than that, we have very little knowledge of what it's like other than uh, we'll, we'll know as we are known. 1 Corinthians 13 says that. We'll have more knowledge. We'll have perfect knowledge when we get to heaven, when we see our Savior. But until then, we realize, while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We live every day trusting God for the future, not what we can see, what we can't see. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. Again, he says this, we are of good courage. We're confident. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Given the choice, would you rather stay here and deal with all of the trials that this physical body and this physical life gives you, or would you rather be in a perfect situation with God, with your Savior in heaven forever and ever? This is an easy, it's an easy question. It's not hard. But we're stuck here in these earthly bodies. So the future, knowing where these earthly bodies are going that we have a home in heaven. It's eternal in the heavens. It's going to be a permanent, glorified body. What gives, you the, what gives you the courage, the confidence to say that? Because we walk by faith, not by sight. And the strengthening of faith from, from the Garden of Eden till the future. God wants his people to walk by faith and not by sight. The just shall live by Faith, Old Testament, New Testament. So there's more sure language here. Confidence. A confident goal. It's one thing to be wanting to go to, if you wanted to go to um, Mount Washington. There's a couple different ways you can get there, but primarily from here, it's almost straight north. If you're going south and south and south, that's the long way around the earth, and you'll eventually end up at Mount Washington, but the shorter way from here to Mount Washington is north. A couple hours, right? But there's a lot from here that's north. You could zip right by it and go to Canada. You can go to Maine, that's north, and Vermont, that's north, and other parts of the world is north. So going the right direction is good, but if you want to go on vacation to hike or drive to the top of Mount Washington, you're going to have, and if you want to drive, you got to, there's one road to get your car up to the top of Mount Washington. We drove it. It was pretty cool. 
saw a moose on the way up, and I'm glad I didn't hike it that day, all right? <laughs> there are some people that hike it. You go a different way, and there's probably several different paths to go, but the goal is the peak. The peak of Mount Washington is the goal, if that's where you're headed. God gives us a direction in verses 1 to 5, and then he gives us a very precise goal, something to shoot at. We make it our aim, we make it our ambition, we see in verse 9, to please him. Here is a very precise goal. And Paul says, because I'm on the right path and heading in the right direction, I'm encouraged. But when, how do I know if I reach the goal? What is the goal of the Christian life? I just want to please God. That's it. I just want to please Him. This is a goal that you can teach your five-year-old who trusts Christ. You need to live to please God. See, we have already seen in 1 Corinthians and up to this point, glorify God, glorify God. Use your bodies, not for immorality in 1 Corinthians 6, but use your bodies for the glory of God. We have seen glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are God's. Look back with me at verse 15 that you meditated on and thanked God for last Wednesday. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4, that more and more people... Giving God's grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As God is thanked, he is pleased. So you have really two choices here. To live for all the other goals and how not, there's not a book on how not to get to Mount Washington. You don't put in your GPS, not Mount Washington. And GPS is like, okay, so where do you want to go? Well, not Mount Washington. Well, go any direction you want to then. <laughs> go as far as you want to. It doesn't matter. But if you want to go to a very specific place, your GPS is going to give you turn by turn to get there. And God wants us to be in a very specific place with these physical bodies day after day after day. And that specific place is, please him. Do what pleases God. How do I know what pleases God? Jesus, it was said of him, I think it's John 5, he always did what pleased the Father. And are there other scriptures that tell us Jesus is our example? Oh, absolutely. Old Testament, New Testament. He is our he is the promised Messiah, and he is a suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Can we be a suffering servant of God? Oh, absolutely. Well, this passage is actually talking about suffering. And Romans 8 is going to talk about suffering. And a lot of the New Testament talks about persecution and sufferings. So as we suffer, we have knowledge. What do we know how to, how to please God? Well, broadly, we learned last week what pleases him. Our outer man perishes, and what happens to our inner man? It's renewed day by day. How are we renewed? By knowledge. Where do we get knowledge from? The Word. It's not, it's not that hard, but it requires a discipline of these physical bodies that are wearing out, and these physical bodies say, pamper me. Make me comfortable. Don't do anything I don't want to do. And the inner man is saying, physical body. You've got to get out of bed if you're going to get to know God. You've got to open your Bible. You've got to put out other things so that you can spend focused time in prayer. You've got to get to church because there are other people there that need your encouragement, and you're going to be encouraging to them, and they're going to encourage you, and you're going to all focus on provoking one another to love and good works, and you need to be with a body of believers. These are things that we know. And these physical bodies need to have this as a goal. And if this isn't a life goal, then this needs to be your life goal. Make it your aim to please God. Next week, we'll look at motivation, if that's not your goal. But catching up with our notes here, verses 6 and 7 is a trusting path. Why trust? Because here we walk by faith, not by sight. 
we don't know exactly what these glorified bodies are going to look like or when we're going to die and go to heaven. We could die on the way home from church or we could live to be 100. We don't know. But what we do know is we're on a sure direction. We should be making progress. That we are trusting a sure person who has given us the spirit to help us along this path. And then we have a very specific goal. What's the goal? To please him. I looked up Major League Baseball stat this week of how many hits in a game and no runs. 14 is in a nine-inning game. 14 hits, a team had zero runs. And the other team could get a hit by the pitch or a walk, steal second, steal third, a pass ball, no hits, and score a run. And that team would win. One nothing. Zero hits and one run. 14 hits, zero runs. It's good to hit the ball in baseball. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the goal of baseball. That doesn't win you games. You know what wins games? Scoring runs. So you can do all kinds of other things with your life. But if you do not please God, it doesn't matter. And it, pleasing God is a choice that you all have to make. I have to make it too. You, I can't make you please God. No one makes us please God. We choose. Am I going to please God or please myself today? Oh, pleasing self is what our flesh is screaming at us every day and preaching at us. And the world is preaching at it. And they're giving us all kinds of songs, all kinds of poems, all kinds of movies, all kinds of entertainment, all kinds of influence in our lives to press us into its mold to live for yourself. Please yourself. You have one life. Live it to the max. And the, that you're going the wrong direction. And the world has does not want to please God with their life because they don't even have that as a goal. They're not even in the game. They're heading the wrong direction. And there are Christians that are heading maybe in a sure direction because of what God has done for them, but their confidence is really lacking. Why is their confidence lacking? Because they're missing the goal. They're trying to please themselves. Oh, yes, I'm glad for my salvation. I'm glad this body is, is wearing out. I'm going to get a glorified body one day. I'll have eternal life with God. But I don't really care how I live. That's how the guy lived in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when he had to be disciplined out of the church. And if you live for yourself day in and day out, and you're around Christians in a church, this church should be healthy enough to say, you can't live for yourself. You can't live for yourself. You can't live for yourself. And eventually, your closest friends at church are going to say, you're living for yourself. And you say, I don't care. I don't care that I'm living for myself. And we're going to have a decision to make as a church. Are we going to keep you living for yourself here? Or are we going to say, mm, I think we may have to discipline you out. With the goal that you'll repent and get back on the trusting path that leads you toward the goal, pleasing the person. When you really think about salvation, as we learned in Sunday school, I don't know why Christians don't want to please God. It, it doesn't make any sense. What do you have that you have not received? <laughs> Nothing. Why are you boasting, he says in 1 Corinthians? You don't need to boast. You don't need to argue and fight and divide. No, what you need is to be on the right path, going the right direction, with a confident goal in mind. I am living to please Jesus. And when you and I have that goal in mind, and the world says, stop pleasing Jesus, or we're going to kill you. Okay. The God who gave me life tells me what to do and how to live my life. And the world is telling me how to live my life. I'm going to believe my creator, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth who gave me life, and one day I'm going to see the face of Jesus, and it will be worth it. And every martyr has had something along those thoughts as they're sitting in a prison cell awaiting execution.
And every Christian, every single morning, you get the gift of life, physical life, with your physical body. You have a choice whether or not you're going to please God or any other goal that you could have. It's a very precise goal. Just like going to Mount Washington is a very precise position on the map. So are you confident that you're going the right direction? There are probably some here today or some watching and you have not trusted Christ. You're not confident that you even know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And if that's you, talk to one of us. We'd love to study God's word with you and help you to go the right direction. And for Christians, you're going the right direction. You're glad that you're um, sure you know you have the spirit living inside of you. He's helping you to, to grow and change. He's helping you to renew your mind and renew uh, your inner man every day. But you're not sure exactly what pleasing God looks like. We'll explore that more next week. But there, obedience. What you see in God's word, obey it. How do I know pleasing God is obedience? Because that's what the Great Commission says in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. That we are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And after someone has decided they want to follow Christ, God has chosen them, they have they've followed Christ, they have been baptized... Then what do we do with those people as a church? We teach them to observe everything that Christ has commanded. That means teach people to obey the word. And if you and I want to please God, when we find things in the word that are displeasing to him, what do we do? Oh, man, we repent. We all expect to not be perfect in any area, any category of sin. We're all going to struggle with it. And we expect to struggle in it because this, we're not perfect yet in these physical bodies. But we're on, we're going the right direction, trusting in a sure person. And then we have the right goal. We're trusting God, and the goal is please Him. Please Him. Not myself. Myself is going to get in the way of that all day, 24-7. So how should the future change you? You say, that's good for you, Pastor, but it's not good for me. Okay, well, you, you, you may not have the goal yet of pleasing God, but that's clearly what is here at stake of verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And he's nebulous here with verse 9 as to whether he is home in the body or home with the Lord. It doesn't really matter. It's no matter where you are. You know when you get to heaven, you're not going to struggle with, should I please God or not? You want to get to heaven? You're just going to please him. And that's what we pray. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because in heaven, it's, everything is perfectly pleasing God, and it's a perfect place because of that. And if we would get in our minds, our goal in life is to please him. When you get on your computer and you're posting on social media or you're, inter or you're reacting to someone else on social media, your goal is to please God. It is not to take up arms and, well, you said that. Here's a verbal grenade and throw it back at them and, and then the, the grenades are flying. What a great way to live as a Christian. So unifying. That's what's happening in Corinth without social media. And now with social media, all it is is look at COVID. Oh, COVID, rah, rah, rah. And all we gather on sides and we start figuring out how we're going to, all these arguments and what are you doing? You're not pleasing God. I don't care if you're right. It's about pleasing God. One day we'll be judged, according to verse 10, whether or not these lies, these physical bodies, please God. And if you're not motivated, read ahead. You'll be motivated for, for next week's message. Should the future change you? How should the future change you? What we are allowing, what are we allowing to influence our lives that is keeping us from thinking of the future? If you are so focused on the present, we get this way with sports or anything we can be involved in. 
we get a new car, we get a house, we get a, a vacation's coming, or we are on vacation, we're just thinking, oh, present, present, present. And the world wants us to only think of the present. Be angry or proud about the past, but only think of the present. And we can't. What is allowing, what are you allowing to influence your life? You don't have to watch TV. Did you know that? You don't have to. You don't have to be on social media. You do not have to read the newspaper. No one's forcing you with a gun to your head. Hey, look at this. Read this. You don't have to. But you know what you have to do? You have to please God. You have to. I'm not coming to your house with a gun to your head. Okay. But you have to please God. You have to use, these are just tools, but if, you're, if they're causing you to, to not live for the future, to live so consumed with the present, they might be a weight or a sin. That Hebrews 12 says you're not living by faith because you need to lay aside sin and weights that are easily besetting you. And if God the Holy Spirit, who is your guarantee that you're on this path of life, if he is convicting you right now, the response is repentance. Not, oh, well... It'll be all right when I leave this. I, I won't feel as guilty. If you're feeling guilty, it's time to repent. And when we hear God's word and we fall short of the glory of God, it's because we're sinners and we need to repent. How is the Spirit convicting you? Because he's inside you as a Christian. How is he convicting you? To make it your life goal to always do what pleases him. You know, the Holy Spirit is such a wonder. And I, we looked at just First and Second Corinthians up to this point a couple weeks ago. All that the Holy Spirit does for us. Why would you grieve him? Why would you quench him? He's helping you to be like Jesus. He's helping you to keep this as your goal. When he tells you something through the word, listen to him and submit. Whatever. And you open your Bible. Here's how you read your Bible. Open your Bible. Whatever God you show me, I will submit to it. That's submission. That's pleasing to God. And what did Jesus, how did he please the Father? Submission. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We learned in Sunday school. Yeah, so Christ showed us what perfect submission looked like. Of course, he didn't have to repent. And then... What does God guaranteeing that we have eternal living bodies, what does it motivate you to do? Live a life of praise. Praise God. Praise him in the presence of those who don't know him yet. And they'll look at you and say, why are you praising him? Because we know. What do we know? We know we're going the right way. We know we have a very specific goal. I'm so glad God has given us this truth so that we can not live ignorantly without knowledge, but we can live to please our Savior. If there's anything that God has shown you this morning from this passage that your life does not please him, repent, submit, or praise. Let's pray. Our God, we can't change ourselves but you change us from the inside out. You, you can renew us day by day as we look at things that are not seen. We know the future is coming. We know the world will be judged. We know these bodies will be either um, raptured or resurrected. We know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we have come to you through Christ. Help us to live, help us to lay aside any sin or any weight that gets in the way of us pleasing you. Forgive us as a church for being divisive about politics, about our strong opinions that don't really have anything to do with eternity or renewing our minds. I pray that you would help us to forgive others, forgive us for not being loving, and help us to submit to Jesus Christ as our Lord. We want it to be our aim every day. Help us. Give us the grace we need. Give us the knowledge we need from your word. Give us the humility we need to accept rebuke and correction from others in our church and other believers. 
Help us to submit to you. And use us, use our lives to praise you in ministry. Help us to provoke one another to love and good works. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for the glory that you received this past Wednesday in our um, praise and thankfulness then. And thank you for the worship that we could enjoy today. I pray that our lives every day, every minute of every day would please you. Convict us when they don't. In Jesus' name, amen.